3: everyone to a brand new episode of On Call with KB. I am your host, KB, and I am looking forward to this segment today because we are going to dive into some iconic classic Grey's Anatomy with season three, episode three called Sometimes a Fantasy. I am joined with super fan, comedian, tv i say podcast host uh and honestly iconic tv connoisseur because i follow you on twitter so i'm super excited about this ashley ray welcome to the show
0: hi i'm so glad to be here gray's anatomy is is probably i could probably have a degree in gray's anatomy (laughs) (laughs)
3: listen if they are offering courses you know i think that like we could do some some guest lecture series like hey guys come join us Every week we can give you um, all of the tea on this iconic Shonda Rhimes show. It's actually kind of hard to believe that this was her first show because it was so fantastic. It's so
0: good. And just, I I went back and rewatched this episode for this. And just again, I immediately got hooked. Like two hours later, I was still watching. Like it still grabs you no matter how many times you've seen the show.
3: Yes, yes. And I don't mean that as a slight. I mean, I'm just so impressed that like her first show was able to catapult in the way that it did and currently still is into season 19 I'm like oh, yeah. girl give me that formula cuz it is really right? like you are you are the one like this is amazing <laughs> I Um, want to
0: know every single behind the behind the scenes detail of how she put this show together.
3: (laughs) Truly, yeah. Um, So, in this episode of Grey's Anatomy, you know um, the main patient is Megan, portrayed by young Abigail Breslin. I mean, she's been killing it since she was a child, apparently. Yes. So she is a pediatric patient who is in foster care and believes she is a superhero because she doesn't feel pain. And so let me start off by saying, actually, one of my favorite things about this episode is, you know, this is the journey for Alex where Addison is really pushing him. She sees yes. something in him and believes that he could be fantastic in peds. And he is truly like fighting it, running from it, not doing it. So yeah. this is actually one of my favorite character evolutions. Yes, it's uh, <sighs> that's when it starts, right? here and it's so sad because Alex has like the most dramatic childhood out of pretty much anyone on this show I don't know like him and Meredith kind of rival each other in that but I feel like his was worse and so it was
0: definitely worse like I I think like he talks about his dad beating
3: him them being homeless at some point yeah (laughs) yeah I feel like it isn't really until we get the introduction of Joe who is the only person who understands what it's like to grow up in the same way as Alex, like truly, because Joe was also homeless at one point. It's almost like he's running away from himself and all that the pain that he went through. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's why he puts up all these walls and impedes. You can't put up walls. It's hard.
3: Can't. You can't. And so Alex, um, you know, he's he grows up essentially impedes and Megan is really the first patient that kind of challenges him in so many ways because also she talks back to him which is funny because I feel like she's just a a version of Alex like she's probably talking yeah Alex would talk to adults as a child
0: Exactly. She's like, I can't beat her. I can handle this. Punch me right now. (laughs) Every time she asks someone to punch her in the stomach, it is the
3: funniest thing. (laughs) It is. And every time I'm also like, but girl, please stop asking these adults to abuse you. (laughs) Yeah, to hurt you. This is not not good at all. Um, So, you know, Dr. Bailey is like, Alex, test her threshold for pain in ice water. So, you know, he does it, uh, yeah. he gets school. Another
0: adorable scene where he's like, oh, we
3: can both, I'll do it with you. And you're like, oh, Alex. So cute. And then he's like, oh my God, girl, take your arm out. You're It's going to fall off. What is going <laughs> to happen? And he like runs away screaming, which is hilarious because people are literally watching him through the window laughing. Um, but it's so interesting because, you know, her foster parents are really adamant that they're not abusing her. She's really adamant, like, hey, I'm good. They're not um, and come to find out, she has a genetic disorder called congenital insensitivity to pain with antihydrosis. And so she has SIPA. That's really the underlying cause. We'll get into that with the experts. But apart from, you know, Megan and Alex's journey into PEDS, we have Izzy, who is still just shrouded in trauma, honestly, from Denny's death. She can't yeah, walk enough. into the, the doors of Seattle Grace anymore right now. I mean, she's still barely able to wake up in the morning and to like function as a human being yeah. so the idea of going back to work is literally you know kind of stifling her and and really yeah. kind of she's struggling so
0: and yeah I do I do love her like beautiful little short monologue she gets where she's like you know every girl dreams of that wedding dress and I have to stop dreaming of that before I can go back mm. but it's like girl maybe do it in your bedroom Mm, you know, yeah, don't just stand outside the hospital all day
3: for hours, literally hours. hours. Like, girl, are you cold? Are you hungry? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Yeah, are you good? Like, yeah, <laughs> I just had so many questions. Um, <laughs> and then of course, elsewhere, which we're going to dive more into Meredith is finally just dating. She's dating Finn. She's dating Derek. She's finally just dating. Like, shout out to you, girl, because I feel like you skip so many steps with men. Um, <laughs> and then we have Burke, who is recovering. And Christina kind of is being a little bit of a pain in, the, uh, in his ass right now. Like, yeah. Just a, just a little bit. She's being whiny. She's yeah. being a little whiny. She's really thinking about herself and less about him and his healing process, um, which is interesting. and interesting turn for her. Uh, and then, of course, we have George, who is incapable of communicating like an adult. And yeah, who is a child, the whole episode. The entire episode. So, uh, you know, let me just say, obviously, you are a, a Grace connoisseur. You, uh, you know, could teach the master class on it. So when did you first mm-hmm. fall in love with it? Was it the pilot? Did it take you yes. a little bit? You know, kind no. of... Why Why are you so here with Grace?
0: It was Love at First Sight. It was the pilot immediately. And I remember watching the, the day it debuted. It was like after, it was like when the show was on Sundays. It was after, I think, the Super Bowl, some football game. I don't know. Didn't care about that part. I was just like, huh, what is this show with doctors? And it just got me immediately. It was like the music. I loved that intro with the PSAP song. It was like so just cool to me as a high schooler. And then it was sexy and funny and the cast had immediate chemistry to me. Like, I just remember being like, oh, these people know each other. Like, they really know how to, like, do the funny one-liners and just bounce off each other. And it was exciting to watch them all flirt. And it pulled me in immediately. I saw myself in Meredith Grey. Um... My best friend, like, we would argue over which one of us was Christina, and then eventually I was like, no, I'm Meredith, you're Christina, like, and I think that's true because I still watch the show into the ninth season, just like Meredith, like, I would not give up on it, (laughs) and all my friends, like, gave up, they stopped watching, like, when Christina left or, you know, when McDreamy dies, and I am still here, I watch every single Thursday, like, I... Don't get behind on episodes, even though like no, like everyone from the original is gone now,
3: except for Bailey and Weber.
0: And I still watch.
3: Oh, my gosh. Listen, I will say uh, the very first time I saw the pilot, I loved it. I you bring up a good point when it comes out to the cast chemistry, when it comes down to that. I really need to find out who did the casting because honestly, they yes. are so good. Like it, it truly yeah. is like the best blend of, of on-screen personalities. And so even the way the characters are written and then the way that they are acted, I think it just works so seamlessly. And honestly, like the first three seasons of Grey's are some of the most iconic, um, yes. you know, uh, episodes of television that I have ever seen. Now, yeah. naturally- yeah during COVID definitely a struggle and also because every single TV show pivoted to having a COVID storyline and I was like yeah and
0: they did not do great with their COVID storyline I mean Meredith was in a coma for
3: 90% of it and it was like oh
0: it was just like what are we doing like (laughs) like, what
3: are we watching why are we just watching her on a beach like what is all of this it's so hard because I mean I do think in order for the show obviously to continue like it needs to continue to re- invent itself in new ways yeah and bringing in a fresh class really is the only way to do it i mean because also the ogs are tired like the ogs are like leave yeah honestly
0: at this point I wouldn't mind if like they flash forward somehow we see Meredith and she's somehow invented, I don't know, like a time travel something s machine. And then instead of like bringing in a new class, they just go back in time and we see it from her mom going to
3: school. (laughs) So, And it's like like it's still
0: grazing. (laughs) I would rather go backwards and see her like having her affair with Richard and all of that than watch this like new cast. I'm just saying Grey's
3: Anatomy, the prequel, get into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, actually, that that doesn't sound bad. Like going back to like Ellis and just kind of exploring yeah. Ellis's life um, and a young Richard and what that Tord affair did, uh, you know, between her and right? Thatcher.
0: The misogyny and racism they faced at the hospital, like their intern class. I think it could be very like Grey's Anatomy Mad Men esque.
3: Mm.
2: And I,
0: I'd probably like it more than what we're getting with this new class. <laughs> <laughs>
3: not mad at it. Okay. So in this episode, you know, I want to start with Callie and O'Malley and mostly Mm -hmm. because not George went behind Callie's back to convince her patient not to have surgery instead of just talking directly to her. Like, listen, I know that George has a lot of issues. I mean, we see with George's family in particular, he has a lot of issues with sticking up for himself. He's just not very assertive. He doesn't really express himself that well. We even see it in season two with Meredith, where he basically is just like following her like a puppy instead of honestly just telling her how he feels. Um, And so it's interesting because in this dynamic, Callie is vastly more assertive in like every single way. But also she has to be because she's an orthopedic surgeon in a mostly like male dominated field. She has to learn how very quickly just even at work how to assert herself. So their balance is interesting when it comes to their relationship. But in this particular episode, I'm like, now, George, you are just dead wrong because she did ask you multiple yeah. times and you just- She's being gone, oh, so direct. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And now you're being passive aggressive and now you're interfering with my patient. So like, yeah, it is a problem.
0: It's like clear he doesn't trust her, doesn't like her. I, it's This is when I started being like, please just break up. Yes. Like, what, what am I supposed to root for in this relationship?
3: So I was going to say, you know, like, what did you think about their relationship overall as a couple and not just in this episode? Because I actually never thought they should have dated. I think that this was a oh, yeah. huge mistake in terms of writing. Same.
0: That's how I feel about it, is that they kind of just needed to give o'malley something they didn't really know what to do with o'malley and the meredith thing because she already had this other like love triangle with two guys which also by the way one of my favorite openings ever is just that in this episode meredith is like wish i was having a threesome with two dudes it's absolutely great but (laughs) (laughs) but i think they didn't know what to do with o'malley so they were like oh just like mush him with this character and it never made sense to me. Like, I was always just like, why would Callie like this boring dude? Like, Callie <laughs> was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Not why one- And I didn't like that it made, I didn't like that it made Meredith and everyone be mean to Callie. Right. Like, everyone was so mean to Callie. And I didn't like that this relationship put that character in that position.
3: Uh, you know what? That's true. I mean, like, first off, I didn't like how George was, oh, uh, Meredith, you got to kick her out. First off, George, yeah. this is your girlfriend. And it's very hard for me to be like. Hey, girl, you gotta go. Why? Why can't you just have a conversation with her and say, "Hey, I'm not really ready to move in together. I thought this was going to be temporary. It's expanding into a bit more. We need to discuss, you know, where you'll be going and what the timeline will be for that." Yeah. Um, Instead of throwing it on Meredith, which the fact that you even think it's appropriate to be like Meredith, the girl to do that, right? No. Totally wrong. (laughs) So um, (laughs) let's get back to Meredith in this dream where she wanted to have this threesome, which um Mm. girl good for you listen I love that Meredith is dating it's really refreshing to see it was lovely to revisit this episode um you know just to remind myself that I should be dating more and go ahead Meredith like live in spirit and in truth now one thing I will say is that we see that it becomes more of like a pissing contest between Derek and Finn and less about romancing her which is you know why she has that grand monologue but um she's right it's hard being an intern um yeah literally like the bottom of the barrel and at the end of the day she's like if i'm choosing to get dressed and spend my time with either of you y'all better step it up so i'm like listen are you team mcdreamy or you know are you looking for mcbett
0: i am team mcdreamy all day every day since day one till the end even now i like like, McDreamy I'm is here. Meredith's one true love. That's why after he died they never let her date anyone hotter than Derek because no one will ever compare with Derek. Like the mo- the chemistry between those two from the pilot it's just electric. There's no one the way he looks at her, the McVet thing was such a distra- like such a silly distraction. I think they were mostly like to play it up in the magazines like, "Oh no, which one will she pick?" because it was so clear like McDreamy and Meredith were endgame perfect and they couldn't like rush to get there but like it was always mcdreamy always make dreamy, and yeah. yeah
3: i mean listen i, I was just gonna say the,
0: the monologue she does at the end re-watching this episode it moved me so much that as soon as it was over i changed all of my bios on every dating app to Meredith's monologue at the end <laughs> and so all of them are just like i want
3: moonlight i want candy i want heat <laughs> Listen, I'm not mad at it again. I told you I I was very inspired like, "Man, maybe I will get back on the apps." Because yeah. honestly, girl, good for you. Just dating is fun. It is fun. It should be fun. She was having fun until she was not having fun and then had to give that big speech. But I just find it so, you know, I am on the side of I do believe that eventually Meredith and Derek are in game. But I do think in the very beginning, beyond the chemistry and beyond the looks that he gives Derek is actually a terrible partner to her. Like, quite literally awful and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he had not dealt with all of his issues from addison's with
0: addison oh absolutely he has all these trust issues a lot of baggage around women outshining him uh women you know following their own dreams being a different you know far away when meredith was like oh well or when he was like oh i'm gonna have to go and do this thing in dc or whatever uh yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, that's why we get the famous Christina line, you know, like, he might be dreamy, but he's not the son you are, or whatever it is. You know, that I think is a big lesson in the show that they have to kind of deal with his insecurities. Mm-hmm. But I think that would have been the case with any guy Meredith
3: ended up with. <laughs> I mean, I think it needs to be the case with any human being like we should all be doing work to better ourselves. But it's glaring with Derek because... You know, I feel like a lot of fans do romanticize their relationship from top to bottom. And for me, it was different. In yeah. the very beginning, I was like, oh, he talks to her real crazy. Like, I, I was like, I, are you guys listening to the way that he communicates with her? Because it's not good. Yeah, like, it is
0: not like, good. It's not healthy." It's- It's not healthy to like put a girl in a position where she's like, pick me, choose me, love Love me. me. Like you're down bad. If, if your guy has you doing that, like you're, that's not good. Yes. But, (laughs) but (laughs) also
3: (laughs) they had so much chemistry and it was hot. So it's like, it's truly, you just have to pick your level of chaos in this show when it comes to relationships, quite frankly, because there are a lot of issues, you know, with Denny and Izzy. A lot, but I adore oh, yeah. them. adored them. I adored them the way... in
0: such a problematic relationship, oh, actually, but I wanted it to work.
3: It's probably worse than Meredith and Derek. I mean, Derek eventually gets there, but you know, Denny dies, and oh, it's also like, oh, everything goes downhill. But I will say, the way he loves Izzy is very pure, and the way he teaches her how to love life. A bit more, like, enjoy life to truly live and to truly love. He teaches her so many things throughout the course of their wildly inappropriate relationship, in which she would have been fired, you know, well before he died. I think, and quote unquote, quit, but really, girl, you was going to be fired that same day. So I don't know if you quit. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you girl, you would have been, you're
3: definitely not. (laughs) But here we are. So,
0: like, okay, sure, you're not a surgeon anymore. Well, we weren't going to let you be. So,
3: (laughs) (laughs) right, right. Like, girl, pack it up. It's okay. (laughs) Um, but we can see that like, he has such a lasting impact on her and we see it in this episode. Like we see how hard it is for her to even be able to like function in life without it. And so something I do like is here, you can kind of see the glimpse because Alex had, you know, they had already had their kind of like sexual, will they, won't they scenario happening? Like, you know, benefits occasionally. And when... She fell in love with Denny, like it changed Alex. You could visibly see how it changed because I don't think he was expecting to really like her. Like, yeah. I think he thought he would be okay with them just being completely physical. And then the way he shows up for her when Denny dies is also like so incredible to watch. Because he's watching the woman he likes go through an unimaginable heartbreak, but he's still trying to be there for her. And so yeah. even in this episode, she's standing outside for hours, and he's like, okay.
0: Like, like come on, girl. Like, he still checks in on her, and right. Alex is such a sweetie. <laughs> he
3: is. Even when he's, like, running away from being one. Like, yeah, he can't help it. He just cares. Oh my gosh, it's just so good to see. So what is your favorite kind of relationship-driven scene this episode specifically? Ooh, I mean i i like i feel like i have to go with that opening
0: of just meredith like dreaming of this threesome because i i always think it's so interesting that she's like i want to be dated and romanced and all this but it does seem like she wants to kind of just slut around at this point in her life it's like i don't know why she's trying to rush into anything with Derek or anyone at any point of like you know just meredith have fun focus on your job (laughs) And so she has this dream, but then she's like, "Oh, yeah, like you know, just date me and let's see which one of you is a gentleman who can make me feel like a lady." And it's like, "Girl, this morning you were dreaming about getting double penetrated. Don't play around,
3: (laughs) (laughs) girl." It's like, "Girl," but also truly, I need you to focus on your job because things are falling to the wayside at
0: work, girl. Yeah, you're not doing a great job, girly.
3: Why are you here? Are you here to work or are you here to find a boo? Because honestly, yeah. I'm not mad at either. I just need for you to decide which one you're here for. Yeah, like.
0: like, I don't even think Meredith was on a case this episode. She just, like, got pulled into the brain thing when Derek was like, oh, this is a way I can, you know, manipulate her into being with me. Yep. But yep. I don't even think she was, like, assigned a patient.
3: No, she was literally just walking around. Girl, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, are you, what? What are you busy with? <laughs> like- and also, girl, this is your training. So, like, yeah. I need you to find something to do fully and totally, please. Um, yeah. And maybe she would if the uh, attendings had something to do. But apparently they don't because look at Addison. So, you know, here comes Mark, which shout out to McSteamy. You know, he's always Ooh, yeah. popping up for his girl, always showing up for a good time, not a long time. And Addison is like, can you go home? And he's like, no. No, <laughs>
0: like, not a, unless oh, if only if you come with me, Addison. I mean, McSteamy is the hottest. I Like, I did always think McSteamy's hotier, hotter than McDreamy. Like, obviously. But I actually always liked Addison and him together. I always liked Mark and Addison together, actually.
3: You know what? I think that they were better suited for each other. Like, yeah. I find that Derek... I don't know. I think that like in certain instances, and I don't want to say this in a wrong way because I do believe that Addison is a strong woman, but I think that Meredith challenged him in ways that he had not been challenged before. Yeah, and there are certain things that she could tell him that only she could say it. You do you know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah, I think Addison and Derek at that point had so much just baggage between each other and hatred between each other that it was just kind of clear it was never going to work. Like they didn't have that same chemistry anymore. It just was gone.
3: So and Mark, Mark, much like Alex, is very misunderstood in the sense that, yes. like, yeah, they like having sex, but at the end of the day, they're also very kind people. Like, it, it, yeah. when you really think about it, you're like, dang, they're actually kind people, and they make mistakes, of course. I mean, we're all humans who make mistakes. But they're kind people. And Mark really loved Addison. Like it was not ideal, naturally, because she is your best yeah, friend's wife. Best but friend's
0: wife. It, not great.
3: You know, not stellar. But I do think that they found something in each other that was unique for the both of them. And so I think for that time in their lives, he truly, truly loved her. Um, but let's get into your faves because you mentioned that Burke and Christina are your favorite couple, which oh, yeah. is wild to me because they are definitely <laughs> not mine. So let's get into it because Uh, I I adore Christina. Like I, she is actually my favorite character. I love
0: Christina. Christina is my favorite character. And Burke is just someone who like accepted her as she was. I love that about them. I think my, the moment that got me for them was when he finally goes over to her place and it's like a mess. (laughs) And she's just like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. And I was like, that's me. Wow. Like, yes, just, I need someone who's like, I take it. That's who you are. So, you know, I loved that aspect about them. But then you see like a shift in Christina's character this season where she suddenly starts becoming very about like her image and her image with Burke. And it's like, we're Burke and Christina, the amazing surgeons. And she has to be seen that way. And so here when Burke is like not a surgeon, he can't do it anymore. And he wants to quit and all this stuff. You know, that really shakes her and makes her kind of act like an asshole here. (laughs)
3: I mean, it's mostly like her identity is wrapped up in them being this surgical power couple. And when yeah. he is injured, she doesn't allow him the time or the space to just be able to heal and feel whatever emotions he has about it. She like is centering herself, like, oh, I'm tired of yeah. being a caretaker. And it's like, girl, if you don't sit down, because honestly, this idea of seeing him as superhuman When he really is just a man. And honestly, he just, he just all right, girl. Like, girl. Yeah. He is. Like, calm down. He's (laughs) okay.
0: Like, you know, I was like, just give him some space right now. Maybe y'all could just take a break for a few weeks while he does, you know, physical therapy. You don't need to be this intense about it.
3: Right. And also, I find that, like, too, you know, he's giving her the facts, kind of like, oh, this is how long it could potentially take for me to get back to you know where i am and she's seeing it as defeat but i'm also kind of like she's not allowing him like to just have whatever feelings he has on his own she's projecting everything onto him and i'm like girl where is the grace like yeah
0: yeah give him space give him grace focus on you christina
3: oh and yet she's not and yet she's taking this into her her case and yet she's talking to this lady who's an actual caregiver for her husband for years because he you know is having these seizures and she has this newborn baby and Christina's like complaining about being yeah complaining caregiver. about her yeah
0: it. she's just like and you don't even understand how hard it actually is for the caretaker and she's complaining so much that this guy is like I'm about to drop a baby right.
3: and she doesn't like, understand I'm like girl she has a newborn and a husband that she is a she is a two-time caregiver <laughs> yeah like <laughs> Christina too Clearly,
0: she's a little more nurturing than you in the first place. <laughs>
3: like, <laughs> if I were that woman, I would have been like, now, ma'am, I need you to just, whatever issues you have, and I need you to pause. Because we need to figure yeah. out what's wrong with my husband instead of making this happen.
0: Yeah, like, honey, I see you're having your own issues, but
3: this is, the, don't don't put this on me. <laughs> okay, so is this in this episode, since they are your faves, I mean, who could yeah. you empathize more with?
0: <sighs> I mean, I, it, I was on Burke's team here. You know, I I understood when Burke was like, you know, I don't know that I want to be back. And when he like is standing there with Izzy and they have a moment, you know, and everybody being like, you're missed. I like Burke's intensity as a surgeon and everything, but I did like that they gave him this moment to be like, well, who is he without that? You know, so yeah, I was like, Christina, come on, stop, stop making about you. Stop, stop complaining to everybody or be open to Burke about it or just give him the space he needs. And I think that's why Burke doesn't feel comfortable telling Christina, you know, what he
3: intends to do. You know what? It's interesting because in this episode, Burke really doesn't have friends in this hospital. Like truly. Yeah. So Christina has kind of like, it just so happens that their intern class gelled really well. Yeah, because it's very easy to see how you know people could be very isolated, but it's really like is glaring in this episode, I think, because he has to rely so much on Christina that he doesn't really have anyone else. So yeah. she really is kind of the only person that he has. And when O'Malley was like, "Oh, you missed," I was like, "Is he though? Because by who? Right? <laughs> like, it's really
0: like by who? Like who misses him? Because." I think he just kind of competes with everybody, you know? So it's kind of, I think his, his actions here are totally understandable. Yeah, I
3: would have to agree. And girl, Christina, you down bad. I need you to sit down.
4: Select goods. That's leesacom forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
3: Truly. Okay. So back to Izzy, what do you think will take her, what it will take to bring her back fully? Because I actually, I haven't watched season three in a really long time, so I don't really remember the details of how she comes back. I
0: don't really remember. I know in the previous episodes, like Bailey is like, it's my fault. I wasn't there to teach you. And she like helps her with the whole cake thing. And that's what like makes Izzy be like, oh, I can even go to the hospital. So it's not another pep talk from Bailey, because she already had that. So I'm gonna guess at this point it's gonna be some uh, magical words from Dr. Weber. <laughs> like it's gonna it's gonna take something like a Weber talk to get her to be like, you're right, I am ready or something equivalent to that or the way they usually like to do it. I can't remember if this happens. Like they always do that thing where when someone leaves the hospital, they'll be like out somewhere or they like go to visit the hospital and then someone has a medical emergency and they're <laughs> yeah. like forced to act. And then they're like, Oh, I guess I can't walk away from medicine. So I can't remember if that happens after this, but one of those two things.
3: <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Or maybe it's Alex, you know, giving uh, an unexpected pep talk. Because he can't be very kind and good with pep talks when he wants to be. Yeah. Maybe it's like a gentle nudging from Alex. And (laughs) I could see like Alex,
0: his new thing with Peds, making her be kind of be like, oh, wow, you found this new thing and new passion. You know, maybe I can redirect to.
3: Maybe. I feel like Izzy's honestly most defining character moments on this show are around Denny, because even when she has cancer... And she's having, like, sex with the ghost. It's still about Denny. So, you know, like I feel like in every capacity, really, those were kind of some of her biggest defining moments. And then that thing. Yeah, and then
0: they just tornadoed her, yeah, O'Malley. And then they tornadoed her character. And it was kind of like, okay. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Like, bye, Izzy. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, but back to Alex. So, you know... Alex has this case and truthfully, he doesn't believe Megan at first, but you know, we get there and, and we finally figure out what's going on between him, Dr. Bailey and Addison. They figure out what's going on with Megan. So I just have to say when it comes to this case of her, you know, having this high tolerance of pain and then also internal bleeding, which like, girl, of course you have internal bleeding. Yeah, you're asking everyone <laughs> who meets you to punch you. To punch you. you. Like, yes. yes She's girl. like, hi, my name is, is Addie. Punch me. Like, that's how she greets people. <laughs> She's like, listen. She was like, you know, I'm Megan. I had a hard life. You can punch me. It's like, girl, what? Like, like no. What? Calm down. <laughs> like, She was like, oh, there... yeah, I get beat up a lot. And come to find out, girl, you are not getting beat up a lot. You are instigating this. <laughs> oh, children. Children are wildly hilarious when they want to be. And it's like, girl, these are you are not making smart choices. Like, yeah. what are you doing? And then I do
0: like that she thinks she has, you know, she's a superhero. I do like that they, like, centered in a really kid, childish way of thinking where it's like, of course she's she thinks, like, oh, I'm special. I have these superpowers. I do like that they set it up that way.
3: Well, I do also love that O'Malley buys into it, right? Like, I love that he, like, knows the whole superhero origin story, and he's like, yeah. oh, well, if she's missing, you know, you she's not going to want you to do surgery on her, because then what's that going to do to her powers? So, like, of course she's going to disappear. Like, yeah. O'Malley is basically, like, he has the same childlike wonder, which I love. Like, I actually yeah. love that they connected that, but, because it makes sense. Yeah.
0: What I love more, Alex repeating it to her later. Like, Alex being like, Oh, I hate you, O'Malley. This is so annoying. And then later being like, Well, Green Lantern's still a hero, even without his ring, right?
3: And it's like, <laughs> I you was know, like, Alex, Oh, Alex, you were listening. You're not an asshole. <laughs> like, not you listened. Uh, and then you right? repeated it back to her in a moment. It of and it modability. was like, uh, Yeah. And you knew it's what she needed to hear. Like, Oh. Alex preparing for fatherhood to children that he doesn't see for decades. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. oh God,
3: I hate that whole story. Little did we know. So did you uh, think that this was as someone who, you know, is is not a, a medical professional, but did yes. you think it was a realistic case for the show?
0: Yeah, I guess I'm I'm sure this exists. I feel like I've seen it on Oprah or Maori or one of those like Mari or one of those uh, you know, daytime shows. So I feel like this is probably a real thing. And I could see Alex being so concerned about child abuse that that's what eventually like gets them to run all these tests instead of just, you know, giving her stitches and sending
3: her on her way. So yeah, it feels realistic. <laughs> yes. So it definitely does exist. It normally is found uh, in, in newborns, like they normally can diagnose it in newborns, but because she's in foster care, it was probably overlooked. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, okay, got it. So I mean- yeah, so- you know, feels realistic yeah in the yeah in the gray's world sure (laughs) right right because they did not dive that deep into it and they didn't go terribly in depth but they gave us a little hint of it we got to see a few cases of her pain or her tolerance for pain being high i mean when she took out those staples with her teeth yeah i was like I believe her.
0: Like, that would have been enough for me. We don't need to get ice out. Like, yeah, she just pulled staples out of her arm with her teeth.
3: Like, I would okay. I like, oh, okay. And she just sat there and was like, okay, what next? And it's like, okay, well then, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess I guess, girl, yes, you win. <laughs> so, I have to ask, who's your favorite character this episode? I- I'm going to go with
0: with the her, with Megan, the little girl. I really, I love that, you know... Like when, they, when they're all arguing and then she just like runs away. And then Alex is the one who's like, where's the little girl? And I'm like, isn't that the first to like wheel her into the room instead of just leaving her in the hallway? <laughs> <laughs>
3: also, and I, It's the way they were not watching her. And I was like, yeah, hey, she's still a little kid. Like, she's still a little kid, you guys. Room.
0: Like you should really be paying attention. You know, so I would say she was my favorite. And then I always love when they connect like the overall message of the story with like one of the patients. And here, obviously it was like pain is there for a reason, you know, it helps you grow and all of them are experiencing some kind of pain. And so I like that you know, this, like, sassy little girl is the one mirroring, like, the biggest kind of theme of this the episode.
3: The Grays is known for their parallels. Oh, it's yeah. one of the reasons why I keep watching. And I do have to say that my favorite character of this episode definitely has to go to Alex. He's the only one that has any sense in this episode. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, George is being wildly irrational. So is Christina, actually. Yeah. Uh, Meredith is trying to have fun, but it's, it's kind of working, but it's not really. But also, she's not doing any work. Yeah, it's like, meh. But Alex is doing work. He's being loving. He's giving Izzy this pep talk about pain. He is, you know, working it out with Megan, trying to figure out her issues, but also being kind to this little child I don't know. Alex just takes the MVP of this episode award for me.
0: Yeah. He also like ha- still has some fun. Like the episode when, uh, when Meredith is on her little coffee date and Alex is like, let's take bets. What's going to happen. Yeah. It's like,
3: he's doing it all this up. He is. He is a Renaissance man of sorts, but
1: thank you again. I really appreciate it. Ah, oh, Thank you. This was so much fun.
3: I am thrilled to be diving into season three, episode three of Grey's Anatomy called Sometimes a Fantasy, which is a wildly interesting title, um, with nutritional geneticist extraordinaire and founder of Color of Genes, Dr. Karen Onyeneho. Hello.
5: Hi. Hey, KB.
3: Oh my goodness. So I'm thrilled to have you. Listen, Dr. Karen's research background focuses on investigating the genetic architecture of type 2 diabetes mellitus uh, in adults of African ancestry in order to develop interventions to combat the disease at the molecular level through genetic testing. And so um, we're going to let her talk about this later on in the episode, but her company, Color of Genes, connects communities of color historically known to be underserved in human genetic research, testing, and counseling with culturally conscious genetic services and evidence-based Faith, health resources for improved Health outcomes. So basically, we're closing the gap on these healthcare disparities. That's that's what I like to see. Yes, um, I am so excited because my first question for you, Dr. Karen, tell the listeners just a little bit about your life and how you got
5: into genetics. You know, so tell me why? Why genetics? Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, KB. This is really a pleasure to be here with you, and I'm really excited to get into episode three. Um, and so, I am a nutritional geneticist. By training, uh, I hold a PhD from Howard University in nutritional sciences and human genetics. Um, So my background and research focuses on investigating exome sequencing and what's called genome-wide association scans, also known, excuse me, as GWAS, of single nucleotide polymorphisms or uh, genetic variants. Uh, The goal is really to study uh, the genetic architecture of type 2 diabetes mellitus Hereditary disease risk. Uh, And so, really, my interest in human genetics began before I even pursued my PhD. I would say about a year before I uh, applied for Howard, around the time that my grandmother Caroline passed away from type 2 diabetes complications. Uh, It was really then uh, that I was interested in discovering, you know, what is this disease because I wanted to understand more about it. And that's what eventually led me to pursue a PhD um, where I could really investigate you know, the genetic underpinnings of the disease. In 2021 uh, is when I founded Color of Genes, and the goal really was to help underserved communities, especially communities of color who uh, continually face health inequities in human genetics research, um, diagnostic testing, and genetic counseling. Uh, And this all, of course, sometimes happens due to pervasive factors, such as race-based medical practices, uh, which I'm happy to dive into a little bit later.
3: Listen, I am so sorry, you know, um, to hear about your grandmother, but it is so interesting how um, just this portion of her life really transformed yours, you know, from from the inside out, and oh, really yeah. helped yeah. give your life new purpose and new meaning. Um, so that is something you know very positive to take out of that for sure. So um, I like to ask every guest because I have had people on here who have never seen an episode of Grey's, (laughs) which, um, is also wildly fascinating to me. So I like to ask, what is your relationship, your personal relationship with Grey's Anatomy? You know, um, have you seen this episode before? And this is your second rewatch, you know, were you like a huge fan kind of watching with friends or family, you know, what did that relationship look like?
5: Absolutely. I love Grey's Anatomy. I started tuning in, this was like senior year in high school, um, this was back in the early 2000s. And so, yeah, I did have to rewatch this episode, but I do remember it vividly, especially because of the young girl who was portrayed uh, with this genetic disorder and how she was essentially bullied in school and had to sort of put on this brave face, even though she was, you know, undergoing a very serious health condition. Um, and so I really, really like this episode. I say Grey's Anatomy is, I think, one of the most entertaining shows on television because it really is what you're doing, it like ties entertainment into important issues through lived experiences. And so in this case, talking about Sipa and bringing attention to the importance of rare diseases and hereditary disease risk, um, as well as the importance of genetic testing really captivated me. And so definitely episode three would be one of my favorites. Ooh, I love it.
3: Okay, so let's get into the episode because you know there are a lot of highs, there are a lot of lows. I mean, uh, truthfully, um, Megan's story is is quite sad because she's been bounced around from you know home to home in the foster care system. She actually really adores these parents that she has now. She said they're the best family that she's had. Um, but here she is, you know, kind of coming in with this unknown genetic condition, um, a lot of internal bleeding. She's going to have to have surgery, you know, things happen kind of aggressively and very quickly. And of course her foster parents are concerned not only about her health and her well-being, but because of what it looks like, right? Like Alex, when he first meets her, thinks that she's being abused by the parents. Um, I think a lot of that is just his like traumatic past and history kind of coming to the surface as well. Um So what are some of the best parts of this episode for you? Give me the highlights, you know, who had the best character moments, what was most upsetting or unsettling, and what did you find that you needed more or less of when it comes, you know, to um, Megan's case specifically, even?
5: I really like how the episode showed the lived experiences of patients. Oftentimes, we don't get to see that, uh, especially in the case with young Megan. Um, I think even just highlighting the disease that she was carrying, how rare it is. I also love the dynamics of the medical staff, like you pointed out with Meredith and sort of her um, being challenged with her relationships at work (laughs) and trying to find that work life balance. Um, But more importantly, Megan really captivated me. You know, this young, tough character, um, you know, was putting on this brave face, battling yet a very, very serious genetic disorder. Um, And I, you know, oftentimes um, we don't really know what those experiences are in the healthcare setting. From a patient, especially when you're talking about a child in her case. So I really do appreciate how the episode raised awareness about um, her genetic disorder uh, and not just it being a genetic disorder, but it being a rare disease.
1: Whether you are a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks. Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time two percent cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. We went from normal life, healthy child
4: to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude.
2: You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's dot com slash iHeart. In fact, just a
5: couple years, I believe, after or no, before the episode aired it was when the Human Genome Project was completed. And that was really sort of the first step to understand really truly um, genetic disorders and hereditary disease risk. Um, and the episode, I think maybe if I could, uh, you know, extend the episode, maybe another hour, it would have been really nice to see, you know, what happened to young Megan after her surgery. At one point she was, she was scared, she, you know, she was trying to put on this brave face, but eventually she explained to uh, the doctor that due to cost, she didn't want to undertake any surgery. I think it was really her fear um, and SIPA, as we all know, unfortunately, in most cases, um, those who've been diagnosed with this genetic disorder, uh, they don't survive beyond the age of twenty five. So I would love to see like exactly how Megan evolves from being a child into adulthood. did she uh, did she survive? Um, you know, how was her how were her parents able to handle sort of seeing her evolve with this very serious disease? Um, also, I think um when you think about rare disease, uh, especially the research, I think that, especially in this case with SEPA, um, more research is needed because right now with SEPA and other rare diseases, we have very limited information as far as like, how does this disorder impact other subpopulations like minoritized populations? Um, not a lot of research is out there. Um, and if not, if we don't really address maybe s- some of the research in rare disease, uh, SEPA and beyond, this could lead to missed opportunities. For example, and Megan being really um, being able to understand um the genetic variation that she carries. Or even as I mentioned in other uh, populations where potentially other populations are not studied as much. So yeah, I would have loved I think Aurora to see exactly, you know, what happens to Megan. Does she survive? Um, you know, does she does she reach adulthood? You know, with her genetic diagnosis.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's never enough time on Grey's, uh, which yeah. makes sense. I mean, you know, they, they cut down the show, they want to make sure that at the heart of it, it's a relationship drama. Um, and so the medical cases oftentimes are either wrapped up very quickly, um, or it doesn't really feel finished, which makes sense. I mean, you know, again, we just don't have that type of time. But I agree, it would be interesting to have had a look back maybe in seasons later, um, you know, to maybe have Megan come back and, and see what that looked like. And, especially because, I mean, you know, they're at season 19 now. So um, they yes. had time to, <laughs> exactly. to have her come back to see what was going on. So um, when did you first come across or hear about congenital insensitivity to pain? And kind of elsewhere, which I'm actually more interested in, is it's what's the most intriguing genetic disorder you've learned about or taken an interest in over the years?
5: Absolutely. So I've heard of SEPA before. I think this episode really sort of brought it to light. and and truly understanding the nature of uh, the genetic disorder. And I think when I started my doctoral studies back in 2017, learning more about hereditary disease risk did uh, help open my um, understanding up a little little bit more about these types of uh, genetic disorders. Uh, Beyond SEPA, there are other inherited uh, genetic disorders uh, that we can be diagnosed with. And um, in some cases, you don't feel the pain, right, Um, in the case with SEPA. Or or in some cases, you may not have uh, a sense of smell. There is another uh, congenital disease, I believe congenital osnomia, And that is a a condition in which beginning at birth, you lose your sense of smell. Uh, Of course, that could be hazardous, right? If you're uh, living in an environment where you are exposed to toxins that could potentially um, create uh, health burdens, some leading to morbidity, comorbidity, or mortality, uh, and so this episode kind of really helped give I think an even greater understanding about genetic disorders, uh, especially uh, in a child, because oftentimes a lot of our research, uh, as we know, is focused on a certain uh, population. Usually those under 18 and those over 65 are considered underrepresented when we talk about uh, age disparities. And so that's something that I thought was really intriguing. I think overall, as far as what I find the, to be one of the most intriguing genetic disorders that I've learned about, or even have taken interest in over uh, the last few years, I would say is genetic variants that are linked to type 2 diabetes, mellitus, right? Mellitus, type 2 diabetes is um, unfortunately um, more prevalent among communities of color. For example, uh, African-Americans are nearly twice as likely to be diagnosed uh, with type 2 diabetes. uh, And we know that that leads to uh, morbidity, uh, comorbidity, and uh, unfortunately, in some cases, uh, mortality. And so one of the most significant Uh, genes that have been linked to type 2 diabetes is called transcription factor 7 like 2 or TCF 7L2. That gene, uh, although there's been tons of research done on it, has been understudied in populations of color, um, namely persons of African ancestry. Uh, And of course, when we don't understand the genetic uh, underpinnings or genetic architecture of a disease, uh, then we truly are missing out on advances in science. We have limited understanding on pathogenesis or pathophysiology. And unfortunately, we, we're not uh, creating a diverse pool of genetic variation that scientists can use for scientific discovery. Uh, and so that gene I've taken a great interest in learning more about. Um, this gene, uh, by the way, is involved with regulating uh, the expression of genes that are uh, involved in lipid and glucose metabolism. You know, But uh, unfortunately, due to underrepresentation uh, of minority populations, uh, namely uh, persons of African ancestry and GWAS, uh, which we mentioned earlier, this uh, gene is understudied um, and primarily is understood in persons of uh, European ancestry. In fact, uh, my doctoral research involved investigating this gene uh, where I found novel variants among communities of color. Uh, those subpopulations uh, in the U.S., Nigeria, South Africa, Ghana, Kenya and Uganda, uh, where, the, where these novel variants were Were found to be uh, common among these uh, racial and ethnic uh, minoritized populations to provide really richly diverse uh, human genetic understanding to hopefully uh, further population health studies. Um, And so, yeah, I would definitely say uh, that gene, uh, TCF7L2, has been uh, and still is one of the most uh, intriguing aspects of my uh, research career and really still trying to understand and learn more about how prevalent this gene gene and its variants are among understudied populations.
3: Yeah. And I love that it's coming back, you know, kind of full circle to that familial aspect for you and doing all the research and that it's still at the top of mind, how you can learn more about this in order to improve um, the communities that are just, you know, um, suffering with type 2 diabetes the most. So um, I love that. So let's get into SIPA. So according to the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences, there are less than a 1,000 cases of SIPA in the U.S. So it's interesting that they chose to really highlight this condition and feature it on the show. So I found an article from Tehran University, um, the Department of Pediatrics, and it involved just looking at four cases of SIPA. um, SIPA, I should note, is often characterized by its self-mutilating behavior which in her instance you know she's pulling out the the staples out of her arm with her teeth Um, she's allowing people to kind of punch her uh, repeatedly in fact that is she is truly a child because the whole episode she's just saying punch me just try it punch me it's like okay stop asking people to punch (laughs) you Um, Megan Um, but it also is you know um, something that happens are recurrent infections, fever, and more. And so the subjects featured in this case are between ages seven and 13. So I'm curious to hear just a little bit more about um, kind of what you found in terms of, you know, this genetic disorder, how many people it impacts, and if you thought that this was a realistic kind of depiction of this, or- of this disorder based on your research.
5: Oh Yes, for sure. You know, SEPA is a very serious inherited genetic disorder. And because of its rarity, it's really not understood or well understood. Or in some cases, uh, those who may be carriers of uh, genes that are associated with this genetic disorder are truly unaware that they are uh, in danger, um, in Megan's case, until they've been diagnosed uh, genetically. Uh, and so it is an inherited genetic disorder, which means that it's, it's passed down from from both parents who actually don't show symptoms. And that's why genetic testing is imperative. Um, and, and truly, it happens in terms of diagnosis when one or more genes aren't working, working properly. And most of the time, in order to actually learn how to treat uh, this genetic disorder, it, it comes from educational, education in nature, right? Patients, for example, have to learn how to avoid getting injured, Um, As in Megan's case, she was self-mutilating herself. Um, And so some of the other educational uh, treatment options would be, you know, at various moments for patients to assess themselves after an injury, you know, checking to see if they have any injuries, um, and then seeking treatment immediately uh, should they occur. Um, So because SEPA is an extremely dangerous genetic disorder, I mentioned earlier, most patients, according to the scientific literature, do not uh, unfortunately live past the age of 25. Uh, and that's another reason why I think more funding in this space is needed to really build a robust evidence base to truly understand, understand this disease and even better treatment options.
3: Yeah, you're right, because honestly, there could be a number of things happening. I mean, most disease bases have like very, very similar Um, factors that engage them. So, you know, when you're saying you're having recurrent infections, that could be a whole host of other things. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not necessarily um, directed at SEPA when you have, you know, a host of infections or you have a fever. I mean, literally a fever is almost the the baseline for so many different disorders and diseases. So that wouldn't necessarily be the baseline. And depending on the age group, self-mutilation might not be either. Um, You know, that could be a whole host of things. So you're right. I think, you know, like genetic testing, particularly in infancy, particularly with SEPA, and of course we know she didn't get it because um, she was adopted. Um, it, It made it seem like she entered the, excuse me, not adopted. She entered the foster care system at birth we don't know much about her birth parents. And, and so, you know, it's interesting because they did not perform a genetic test, you know, prior to her coming in with these um, specific set of symptoms and then doing some additional scans. So before we get out of here, you know, real quick, I just want you to dive into, you know, your heart and soul, your passion, color of genes. Um, tell the listeners, you know, kind of where they can read more about color of genes uh, and how they can support.
5: Oh, absolutely. First, I wanted to say I had an amazing time with you, KB. This was really, really awesome. And I commend you on all the work that you're doing as well to highlight these very important issues in a very fun way. So, thank you so much for having me as a guest. And with regard to color of genes, um, really, truly um, something I'm incredibly passionate about uh, because our goal is to put the health needs of individuals as well as their families first. And we do that through providing the highest quality of health education, access to evidence based health resources, uh, including culturally conscious genetic services and products, and genetic professionals in three domains, uh, and those include human genetics, health promotion, and disease prevention. So like Alex, I'm incredibly passionate about helping patients, especially underrepresented patients. Uh, And if you wanted to learn more, uh, especially uh, your wonderful listeners out there, feel free to visit www.colorofgenes.com. I'd be happy to uh, engage and or provide access to some of those resources that we have. But again, thank you so much for having me. This has been a really, really awesome dialogue. Oh my
3: goodness. I'm so excited for everyone to just be able to read up on all of the work that you are currently doing and will continue to do on Color of Genes. Um, just your passion, your heart for you know serving the underserved communities and providing a way for all of us to lead and live healthier lives and, and, and live longer and use genetics to our advantage in order to do so and to, to help in that. That way it's just so beautiful to see. So thank you for all of the work that you do and continue to do, and thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on this show to dive into Sipa in this way and to be able to shine a light on this, but not only this, type two diabetes mellitus and you know more genetic disorders. Like I think we do need to start having uh, more open dialogues about it, and honestly, that's why I created this show, just a, a safe space and a fun space to be able to dive into, you know, some very interesting cases that are happening um, to us. And and I love talking to problem solvers um, and people who are doing the work <laughs> on the love ground it. and you are one of them. So just thank you so much. It's
5: been a pleasure. I appreciate this opportunity and I look forward to seeing what I know will be a really, really successful path that you are forging ahead. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of On Call with KB. Join us each and
3: every Thursday for brand new episodes where I chat with an expert and a super fan about the science behind the scenes. Until then. Listen to On Call with KB on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.